0: Turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter number 6, Judges chapter 6. This was not the message that I was going to bring tonight, but I believe it would be the mind and the heart of God, and uh, I just want to please Him. If I can please Him, that's all I need. That's all I want, if I can please Him. If He's pleased with what I do and how I live, that's enough for me. And that ought to be enough for any of us, amen? You'll never have more liberty in your life than when you learn to be content with the Lord being pleased with you. Uh, If He's pleased with us, that ought to be enough for anything, amen? Judges chapter number 6, this is the message I have on my heart this evening, and I trust God will use it in your heart and in your life. Judges chapter 6, I'd like to read just five verses here, and then I want to jump over to chapter 7 and read three verses there, and then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Judges chapter number 6, verse number 1, the Bible says, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. Look with me in chapter 7. Look at these first three verses. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that something occurs between where we left off reading and where we'll pick up, God commissions a man by the name of Gideon uh, to lead in the deliverance of the children of Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And so Gideon gathers all those together that will go to war with him. The Bible tells us that it is 32,000 people initially. In verse number 1 of chapter 7, the Bible says, Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid... Let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. Let's stop there and pray tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you for letting us be here tonight. Lord, thank you for the rain. Your hand has brought it. and It's here by divine appointment. Keep us safe as we travel in it and protect our homes, Lord. But we thank you for it. Lord, we've gathered here in this place tonight because we have a heart to hear from you. And they didn't come to church tonight on a night. It was easy to come to church, Lord, but they made their mind up to be here. And I believe you're pleased and honored by that. And I pray that you would honor that choice and decision by moving especially amongst us this evening. We'll be sure to thank you for what you'll do. Pray that you give clarity to my words, give power to the truth that is communicated tonight and give entrance into our hearts and minds of that which you desire from us. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, and it's taken from verse number 3. The Bible says that this was the instruction that Gideon was to give to the children of Israel. He said, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, fearful and afraid. I have a short message and a simple thought, but I'm hoping that it's a blessing to you tonight. The thing that's fascinating to me about this passage is not the 22,000 men that went home, but it's the 10,000 men that stayed behind. You see, there were 10,000 men who made their mind up on that evening that they were not going to be fearful and afraid no matter how they felt in their hearts or in their minds. Can I tell you this? Uh, We may not have much choice about whether we're fearful, but we can decide whether we're going to be afraid. When I read this passage of Scripture, it's it's interesting to me because the words that are used here, and I told you just the other day, I, I'm not a Hebrew or a Greek person, and uh, you know, I, I think a lot of uh, sort of notion of really being able to understand some of those languages really exists more in folks' minds than it does in actuality. There's so much of it that I think that when we talk about context and idioms and things of that sort that we can't presume to be able to understand. And that's why I'm thankful God gave us a Bible in English. Because I speak English, amen? And so, I'm not a big fan, really, of, of talking much about Hebrew and Greek, but there are times it bears upon a given passage. And it's interesting to me that Gideon makes this statement, "...whosoever is fearful and afraid." Now, God never repeats Himself redundantly or for no reason at all. When God says something, He says it once, that's enough. He says it twice, He's saying, listen up and pay attention." And when we come to this passage of Scripture, I'm interested to note tonight that there is a different word that's used for these two different English ideas. He says, not just whosoever is fearful, and not just whosoever is afraid, but whosoever is fearful and afraid. You say, preacher, what's the difference between fearful and afraid? Well, the word given for fearful here is the word yare. It It means this, to be fearing or to be reverent or to be afraid. In other words, we could say this, that it reflects the inward disposition or attitude of the heart about a matter. Can I tell you this? We don't always control whether or not we feel anxiety or fear about a given matter. I I believe that we have a choice what we do with that anxiety. Uh, But listen, I'd challenge anybody to stand across the field from so many Midianites that they were countless in number and not feel a little bit nervous inside undoubtedly they felt fear within their hearts. But it's interesting the word that's used for the word afraid. It is the word "carade," And it means this, not just fearing or reverent or afraid, but it literally means trembling on the outside. You know, it's found on five other occasions in your Bible. And this is how it's translated for us in 1 Samuel 4.13. It's the word tremble. In Ezra 9.4, it's the phrase, unto me every one that trembled. In Ezra 10.3, it says, and of those that trembled. In Isaiah 66.2, it says, and trembleth. And in Isaiah 66.5, it says, ye that tremble." It's apparent to me that Gideon, when he made this requirement, this standard upon the men in his army, drew a sharp distinction between what we feel on the outside and what we do, or what we feel on the inside and what we do on the outside i tell you this, you may not have the choice whether you're fearful, but you and you alone get to decide whether you're afraid in light of the dangers of life around us. Think with me about three thoughts tonight and we'll be done. Number one, let me say something about their foe. Uh, The Bible describes their foe as not just the Midianites, but in fact a confederate army of all sorts of people from all over the land. The Bible says the Midianites. The Bible says, verse 3 of chapter 6, the Amalekites. The Bible also says the children of the east. This was not just the Midianites, though the Midianites themselves would have been a fierce and fearful foe, but this was a confederate army of uh, nations that had come together with one singular sole purpose to destroy the the children of Israel. I would say this tonight, that their foe was a real foe. I tell you tonight, I'm not asking you to pretend as though there are no dangers in life. You listen to me? Uh, you all right? You ain't go ahead and get the water out of your ears. Amen. I ain't asking you to pretend like there's no real dangers in life. Life's fraught with dangers. Listen, I, I, I'm not the voice of experience, but I'll tell you that in my young life, Boy, I've sure stood in a lot of caskets, and I've sure comforted a lot of broken families, and I'm sure I had tried to speak peace into a lot of, 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 of broken hearts. And I'll tell you that there are real dangers in this world. There are real threats in this world. I'm glad God doesn't ask us to live with rose-tinted glasses and our head buried in the sand, pretending as though there are no real problems around us. The fact is, you're going to face things in life that are real meaningful threats and dangers. Those that would claim that. Being a faithful follower of the Lord means nothing will ever touch us. We're going to have a hard time going to heaven with Job. Because Job had a life touched by real devastation. Job was not just being dramatic. He was not just amplifying anxiety. I mean, we're talking about a man that stood beside ten freshly dug graves and buried his children. I'd say this, there are real dangers in life. And faith does not erase the reality of danger. Faith does not mean that dangers don't exist, and faith does not mean that danger is not real. Their foe was a real foe. Let me say number two tonight. Not only was it a real foe, it was a powerful foe. This was no paper tiger. The Bible describes them as being like the grasshoppers. Now, we live here in East Tennessee. If the Bible was written in East Tennessee, it wouldn't have said grasshoppers, it would have said like pollen. Somebody say amen to that been like pollen that covereth the face of the earth. Amen. In other words, at that time, it was not terribly uncommon for a plague of locust or of grasshopper uh, to uh, fall upon a land. And here's what they did when it happened. They just blanketed it everywhere. And the Bible uses that language to describe the Midianites and these other armies that were collected in that place. It was a powerful foe. It was a foe more powerful than Gideon and his army. We've often looked at this from Gideon's perspective considering how bewildered he must have been when God continued to whittle down his army. But I'm going to be honest with you. Before God ever told one of them to go home, they already didn't have enough to get the job done. Can I just make a statement to you tonight? Hey, listen, we if God don't help us, we already don't have what it takes to get the job done. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. Listen, I've seen, I've seen in life, I've seen people, I've seen people in the pinnacle of health whose health uh, departed in an evening. I've seen people who were the epitome of of caution and the epitome uh, of safety who uh, tragedy befell. I've seen people who tried in their life to be responsible and to set themselves in a proper financial situation, and they made all the right decisions, and still they found themselves deep within poverty overnight. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. I'm not telling you there aren't real dangers. I'm telling you there's a real God and those real dangers are already beyond your help without God. It was a powerful foe. I mean, this was beyond what any of them had ever faced and what any of them could ever handle. Somebody's going to say, well, preacher, you just pretend like there's no danger in life. No, man, there's danger in life and it's real danger and it's powerful danger. And if I've ever given the impression to anybody that I think life's a bed of roses and there's no danger around, hey, listen, let me disabuse you of it tonight. There's real danger. I've buried too many people to think there's not real danger in life. I've seen too many homes destroyed to believe there's not real danger in life. I've seen too many kids go the way of the devil and the way of hell to believe there's not real danger tonight. I'm not telling you there's not real danger. There's a real foe. There's a powerful foe. But then notice what the Bible says back in chapter 6. Look, look with me at, at verse number 5. The Bible describes why they came. It says this, they entered into the land to destroy it. I'd say this, their foe was a hostile foe. In other words, they were not imagining the danger here. But the Holy Spirit of God says that army was assembled for one unique purpose, and that was to destroy the Israelites. I've heard this before, but listen, just because you're paranoid don't mean they ain't out to get you. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, the devil certainly does want to destroy our lives. Uh, he knows he can't drag us to hell. But He'll do everything He can to try to make this life hell on us before we ever go to heaven. And the foe that they were facing, uh, the hostilities were not imagined. They were not concocted in their fantasy. They weren't just assuming. They weren't just imagining the danger. They're in a very precarious situation. And their life could be snuffed out in a moment. I see their foe in this passage. But then think with me, because of that, about their fear. I think we have sometimes a wrong perspective on fear. I think there are times when we yield to fear in our life that it can be sinful. But fear in regards to the inward anxiety or unnervedness that we feel at the prospect of danger, I don't think is sinful. I think it's merely a function of our flesh. It's a weakness that we feel within us. And when I think about these men... The the shocking thing to me is not that 22,000 went home. It's that 10,000 stayed behind. Because who in that crowd wasn't fearful? I would say this about their fear. Their fear was a natural response. There are some things we ought to be scared of. Amen? Snakes. Amen? Snakes. Amen? Snakes. Clowns. It's natural. Amen? I'm scared of all men in makeup. Somebody say amen to that. I don't care what their excuse is. (laughs) I'm scared of some wimp. Well, anyway. Preacher. Hey, listen, I'm a super spiritual superhero and I never fear anything. God bless you. Teach me how to do that. Reality is the flesh operates in the realm of fear. Fear. And it is a natural thing to be fearful of things you feel beyond your control and things that are a meaningful threat. There are things that, as a parent, if I'm not careful, they'll keep me up at night. I mean, we live in a wicked world, friend. I don't know if you're aware of that. And there's real danger around. Me and Dad were talking the other day, and we were talking about kids, and he, he said something that I think is, is pretty typical of of his, how do I say this delicately, demographic. Age-wise. You alright? Okay, alright. And, uh, we were talking about kids and the difference between kids today and, and he said, you know, kids just ain't like they were when I was young. You know, he said, when I was young, you know, kids, they were just, they were taught to mind and, and, and they just, they, they were, kids are different than what they were. And I said, dad, kids ain't different. I said, adults are different. Yeah, different. A- and I said, the, the issue is not as much that kids are worse than they used to be, the issue is you're around them all the time. Some of y'all, when you was growing up, your parents would have strangled you if they had to spend the kind of time around you that we young parents have to spend around our kids. You'd wake up in the morning and hit the road at 7 a.m. and wouldn't roll back in from the creek and the woods and everything until dinner time and the sun going down. And back then, you went to bed at that time. Now, we just, us young parents, sometimes if you look and we got a little nervous tick, that's because we're sitting on top of our kids all day. That's all we're doing. And uh, I, I made the comment to him, we all right tonight? You okay? I made the comment to him. I said, we don't expect better behavior out of kids today, but we expect more good behavior out of kids today than probably was expected out of them 50 years ago. They only had to hold it together just occasionally when they was in front of adults, amen? Now, if they didn't, they might die, but nowadays we're asking them 24 hours a day to sit in a classroom and listen to a bell ring and and, and their entire life is one of containment. you say, "Preacher, you know well, what are you getting at with all this?" I don't know, but here we are." <laughs> but I made the comment to him. I said, "I wish we did live in a world where we'd just turn our kids loose like feral animals. That'd be wonderful." But the reality is we live in a society today, man, your kid, you, if you let your kid play out in the yard, you might turn around turn back. They might not be there. Man, we're living in a dangerous world. And I'm not here to tell you that that danger does not exist. And I'm not even here to beat you up for feeling fearful about that. The reality is that it is a natural thing to have fear of real meaningful dangers around us. It was a natural response. Let me say number two, it was a logical response. We sometimes pretend that all fear is irrational. Now, let me qualify what I'm about to say. As a saved born again believer that can rest in the arms of an everlasting God, there is a sense in which our fear is irrational. But understanding that we live in a broken world and understanding that we live in a world fraught with heartache and tragedy all around us, I'd say this, that that when we operate in the motions of the flesh, it is logical to be fearful. See, the flesh doesn't take into account the power of God. The flesh doesn't take into account the promises of God. The flesh only operates in the natural realm. And so if we yield to the flesh in our life, it is naturally and logically going to see real meaningful danger around it, and it's going to tremble at the prospect of. I'd say this, man, their fear, it was not only a natural response and a logical response, but it was a typical response. There's more of them went home than there was that stayed. The majority felt the same way about the matter. And I'll tell you this, we live in a society that fear, and we might say the condoning and even exalting of fear has been mainstreamed in society. It used to be in society that we, here in the West, that we elevated people that were not fearful. That used to be what it was all about. What was it old John Wayne said? You know, Marion, you know. Uh, John Wayne, <laughs> that was his name, was Marion, you know. If your name's Marion, I ain't making fun of that name. <laughs> He's afraid of horses too. He used to say courage is being afraid and saddling up anyway. That used to be like the Hollywood people, you know. Tough guy, riding into battle, killing all the bandits and all the bad guys, standing on their own, willing to face the, the crowd. And we live in a society today where that's not the case. You ever noticed all these superhero movies? Every one of them's about a whole group of people getting together with superpowers and beating up on mortals. That's yeah. what they're all about, you know. It ain't no more. Here, here's uh, white hats and black hats, and here's somebody going in uh, down into the into the Box Canyon and shooting up all the bandits down in the hideout. No, now it's people that can pick worlds up and rip them apart, beating up on humans. Yeah. Those are the heroes today. Well, what has happened? Fear has been mainlined and mainstreamed. We're living in a society that has divorced itself from spiritual reality. And because of that, they have no reason to feel anything but fear. Fear will be one of the motivating influences and factors in the forming of the empire of the Antichrist. How's it going to get everybody to fall in line? Everybody will be afraid. Be afraid because the world's just going to be busting apart at the seams and here will step up a man that'll, that'll be able allegedly to fix every bit of it. And out of fear, they will accept his rule and his governorship. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this. If you're looking for somebody to be scared with, you'll find people to be scared with. If you're looking for somebody to traffic in fear with, you'll find people to traffic in fear with. If you're looking for people to make you feel as though you're in the right for yielding to fear in your life, you'll find people that'll do that. Fearful people. That'll make that, that sinister bargain with you where they'll excuse your fear if they'll, if you'll excuse theirs. Just like is the case when we're living in sin. You'll find somebody that'll excuse your sin if you'll excuse their sin in the same way. Hey listen, this was a typical response. Can I tell you that being a Bible believing Christian does not make us typical. It makes us spiritual. It doesn't make us carnal. It doesn't make us fleshly. But rather it causes us to operate outside of those fears and to instead draw on a strength that is not rooted in this world's rationale and in this world's logic. I see their foe and I see their fear, but finally, and you don't believe this tonight because you're fearful and afraid, but I'm almost done. Can I make two comments about their faith and then I'll be done this evening? 32,000 people, 22,000 went home, but 10,000 of them, that had the same terror in the heart as the other 22,000 saw the same enemy as the other 22,000, that had the same things at, at stake as the other 22,000, 10,000 of them said this, I'm not going to let what I feel on the inside govern my outside. They were fearful on the inside, but they didn't let it translate to outward trembling. You don't need to feel guilty over feeling anxiety and fear within, but you and you alone get to choose whether that fear gets to control the outside. Notice two things about their fear number 1 they did not allow their fear to master them If a person is trembling that implies and denotes the idea of an involuntary movement that their body is making For instance when a person one of the one of the uh you know uh, sort of safety switches that God has given to us just in in being fearfully and wonderfully made when we get cold what happens we start shaking and our teeth start chattering. Do you know why God created you that way? Because the muscles moving in that fashion and exercising in that fashion will cause your body to warm up. It's part of the reason when you're sick and you have a fever that you feel so fatigued when you're chilling is because all those muscles are contracting over and over and over and over again. It's fatiguing you and it's making you weary and it's making you tired. The trembling that is implied here is an involuntary movement of the body, but it is rooted not in a physical state, but in an emotional state or a mental state that they have. And the idea is this. A person don't tremble because they want to tremble. They tremble because they can't help but tremble. In other words, 22,000 men, they felt fear in their hearts, and instead of mastering the fear, the fear mastered them. Can I tell you, in your life, you're either going to master that fear or that fear is going to master you. One of the two. There is no, listen, there's no compromise with it. You're going to have to make up your mind that you're going to live your life and you're not going to allow fear to dominate you. I think about what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 2.14 about Christ and and His sacrifice on Calvary. You've heard this verse. I quote it a lot in preaching. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Listen to this, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, fear puts you in bondage. Fear keeps you from going places that you otherwise would go. Fear keeps you from doing things that you otherwise would do. Who knows, man? If I wasn't such a coward, I might bungee jump. Somebody say amen to that. You ain't going to catch me doing it. I ain't even down for flying anymore. I pray for some of y'all that fly. Amen. I saw a news article the other day. Spirit Airlines guy was out putting duct tape on the side of a plane before it started down the tarmac. I thought proved right. Right here. Proved right. Amen. And uh but here's what fear does. Fear takes you and it becomes your mastery in your life. And if you allow it to, it will dictate the terms and the boundaries of the way that you live. I Listen, I and I've refrained, and I'm going to keep refraining from talking about the last two, three years in our culture. But I mean, I think we've all seen just how powerful fear can be. When we allow it to be the thing that sets the terms of our life, when we allow it to be the thing that that governs and guides what we do. I mean, hey, listen, if we're letting fear master us, the Father's not mastering us. You cannot serve two masters, Christ said. You'll either serve God or you'll serve mammon. What is mammon? Mammon is the flesh. It reflects this world system, but more distinctly, it reflects the flesh that feeds on this world system. It's not riches in and of themselves. It's not even the world in and of itself, but it's that part of us, contrary to God, that engages with those things. In other words, we could say it this way. You're either going to let flesh run you or the Father run you. And if flesh runs you, then flesh will use fear as a tool to run you. They did not allow fear to master them. And then I'll be done tonight. Let me say this. They did not allow fear to move them. Now, there's times your Bible talks about people being moved with fear. Noah being moved with fear prepared an ark. And fear has the ability to cause us to do things that we otherwise would never have done. Here's what these people did. They didn't allow fear to move them off the battle line and back to their home. It's interesting that some of these men, and and I don't mean in any way to glorify those whom God did not use to go and to defeat the Midianites, but you understand that Gideon goes into battle with 300. And and so 9,700 of these men that made the choice, I'm scared to death, I'm trembling, I don't have a good feeling about it, I'm nervous, I don't know what to do, but I won't let fear run me off. 9,700 of those men went home. Not because they're cowards, but because God willed that they go home. We can find all kinds of reasons, and I've heard preachers do some, I'm talking about theological gymnastics to try to explain why the folks that lap the water were 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 better than the folks that that got down like the dog and licked the water up and i've heard a million different reasons i don't know maybe we'll get to heaven and find some real clever reason that none of us catch you say preacher why did god pick the one instead of the other uh because there was less of the one than there was the other i think if the men that had lapped up with their tongues from the pool of water in the verses that are following, I think if there had been 300 of them and 9,700 of the other, he would have picked them. But the truth is, he was picking the smaller group. It tells me this, the 9,700 men that stayed when they could have went home and God sent home anyway, they didn't go home in shame. They didn't go home because they was fearful and they didn't go home because they was quit. They went home because God permitted them to go home. It tells me this, they made their mind up that they were willing to go home when God wanted them to go home. But they weren't going to allow fear to be the deciding factor. Can I tell you in your life, uh, we need to approach every decision with this perspective. I'm going to make sure that whatever I do is going to be moved by faith and not by fear. When God commands those 9,700 to go home, not of their own choice, but He instructs them to do so, you understand they went home in faith? I mean, these men had stayed. They wanted to fight, no doubt. And they were not going home to some five-star resort with security everywhere. They were going home to await the Midianites coming and destroying them. And trusting these 300 other men to somehow win the day. When they went home, they were going home in faith. You see, the problem is not, well, God needed more or God needed less. The problem is not, well, some stayed and some went home. The problem is this. Some were moved with fear and others were moved by faith. God can use those that are moved by faith. Every every approach, every decision in your life, the question needs to be this. Am I trusting God in doing this? There's going to be times that trusting God means doing something that does alleviate your fears. That's Okay. I'm sure these men, though they no doubt were scared of what may come down the pike, I'm sure that they were, in a sense, relieved when they did get sent home. But the motivating factor was not their fear, rather it was their faith. And I would tell you in your life, hey listen, you may not be able to help being fearful, but you and you alone have the choice of whether you allow that inward fear to master you outwardly, to produce the trembling in your life that masters you and moves you, that changes, manipulates, affects your life in such a way that you can't live for God and that you're not doing that which pleases Him because you're allowing fear to have the right of way. You and you alone decide that. Paul settled it pretty roundly in 2 Timothy one seven when he said this, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. He's not but of power and of love and of a sound mind. All three of those things are active. And what he's saying is this, what moves us is not fear, what moves us is faith. That spirit of fear, that doesn't come from the Lord. That doesn't come from the Lord. A spirit of faith comes from the Lord. And so the question I've got for you tonight is not so much are you fearful. You might have good reason to be fearful. You might have good reason to feel anxiety. You might have good reason to be nervous. You might be facing a real powerful hostile foe and and your fear might be natural and logical and typical and no one could blame you for it. I'm not here to chasten you for being fearful, but I'm here to challenge you to not be afraid tonight, but instead to put your faith in the Lord and whatever you're facing to trust Him. He's a faithful God. And we can trust him no matter what we're facing. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. Wanna we'll invite you to come meet the Lord in the altar. Whatever God's spoken to you about, he might have said something you didn't have a thing to do with what I preached on, or he might have spoke to you about that matter. Whatever it is, would you meet him in the altar? Let him have his will and way. Father, Lord, I believe I obeyed you tonight. I believe this was what you wanted, and so I trust I trust the response and the result to you. Lord, I just pray that you'd have your will and way tonight, that you'd be pleased. Bless this invitation, we ask it in Christ's name.